Would you please stand with me as we read the word? As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But then he heard this, and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. The word of God. Please be seated. We close out this series of Jesus Is and prepare for the beginning of our next series, Lift. If you haven't got any information about Lift, please ask about it. It's fantastic. Anybody seen that Netflix documentary, uh, Blue Zones? Have you caught that yet? Yes, yes. That's us, Adventists. We're Blue Zone people. And so this next Lift series will be a six-week series on how to live better, how to live life more fully in our human bodies and in our relationships. So we're doing this thing where we're connecting up small groups. If you haven't started one, this is how you do it, real simple. Get two other human beings who you like to see once a week. You don't have to like to see them twice a week, just once a week. You get those people and you start, you decide where you're going to meet. Let's meet at McDonald's. Let's meet at... Uh, the mall. Let's meet. Uh, juice it up. Let's meet at Starbucks. Once you find your spot, you're going to meet there for six weeks together, and um, you're going to just go along and do life, and you're going to watch a video and do some challenges, and then talk about how that affected your life. And while you're doing that, if you're willing, we would open up your threesome group to the church so that if anybody else says, hey, I really enjoy McDonald's, they can join you for the next six weeks. I don't know a lot of people who enjoy McDonald's that often, but if that's you, you can join them. And for the next six weeks, we're just going to do life together. And you and your two compadres or your friends or your sisters, your brothers, get together and just work through life, asking how can we live our lives more fully and better. That's the Lift series next week. But this week, we close out Jesus is. We started with Jesus is a person, not just an idea, not just a teaching, not just uh, a debate, but Jesus is a person. We don't just follow the teachings and the ideas of Jesus. We follow Jesus, incarnate God, the one who is encamped among us, who doesn't just speak words, but live life here that we too may tangibly follow God. Jesus is a person. We look to and follow this person of Jesus. God incarnated as our model, the original and not a copy. Then last week, Pastor Raywin reminded us that Jesus is attentive and has the power to give new life as our shepherd, as our good shepherd. Today, I want to talk about how Jesus is relevant Jesus is relevant to our lives today as he was yesterday. Jesus is relevant. Merriam-Webster would define relevant this way. 
having significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand. That's what it means to be relevant. Having a significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand. So when we say God is relevant, really what we're trying to say is God is, is demonstrably uh, there in action. He, he, he's a part of this activity. He's aware of it. He is for it. He is with it. Um, Jesus is in his life, and we can see that happening. God is relevant. It means God is present. It means God is listening. It means God is acting in demonstrable ways, bearing on the matters at hand. This is true for God and God's calling for the church throughout history. So as we talk about what it means that Jesus is relevant, I think there maybe should, should be a couple things that we would get out the way that Jesus, uh, that relevant does not mean. Being relevant is not the same as being trendy. Turn to someone and say, it's not trendy. <laughs> Tell somebody else, it's not trendy. Being relevant is not necessarily the same as being trendy. Trendy means very fashionable or up to date. So we mustn't confuse the two. If you're going to be a great leader on your campus, you have to know the difference between a trend and being relevant. What it means to be trendy versus what it means to be relevant. As a church, we should understand this concept as well and so that we don't get caught up in the distractions of this facade of things that may seem really cool and really uh, apropos in the moment. I'm less interested in the trendy attire of my members and more invested in the relevant heart of the believer. It's important that we don't just look the part, but that we live the part, amen? That's what it means to be relevant. So oftentimes when we come to this church, I want you to know you are welcome here. Can you just turn to someone right now and affirm them and say, hey, welcome here. Tell somebody else, man, it's really good to see you. It's really good to see you all. Some of us will be wearing three-piece suits, praise the Lord. Some of you have a different tie for every Sabbath of the year, praise God. Some of you will be wearing shorts, amen. Some of us will be wearing our tats, praise Jesus. Why? Because we are here together. They have this thing now where pastors wear really trendy shoes and really trendy clothes. Now they got a little Instagram post, these pastors, they're wearing the shoes, talking about the Lord is good and he serves you. And they're wearing like $1,000 shoes. I don't even know how much these things cost. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Look up in my eyes. Look into my eyes. Don't, don't do that. And we say, yeah, you're right, pastor. Look at these trendy wannabe pastors, and they're, you know, they're trying to make us fall in this Kool-Aid. But listen, we've been doing this for generations because we do that with our suits as well, right? We used to tell people, you got to bring your best to the Lord. The truth is our best isn't in our attire, and if it is, our best is not very good. Our best hasn't, can't be what we wear. Our best must be what comes from the heart. So come in your shorts, come in your jeans, come in your tattoos, come in your suits, come as you are, because this is a place that looks to embrace people. Let's be relevant, but let's be careful not to be too trendy. If you buy your pants from Costco, amen. 
Don't look at my pants. Don't look at my pants. You're safe here. I'd rather not worry about what you wear to church. I'd rather how you live your life on your way to church. Were you kind and loving and good to somebody? Did you bless somebody on the road when really you should have given them something else? Did you care and were more patient at work? Did you teach your children how to love and run across a sanctuary and enjoy her life? Do we do this? So we must be careful. Being relevant does not necessarily mean being trendy. Being relevant means we are aware of the things that are happening in our world around us, in our communities, and we care deeply to make an effect on those things. We truly care about the, the, the condition of the lives of our families, not just in our church, but around the 92505. It means as a community that we care about our amazing students who every day over here has to go through studies and has to learn about life and who wants to find their mate, that, that, that partner they're going to live with. But we care about all these things, that we're listening to the rhythm of our, of our underprivileged in the area. This is what it means to be relevant. Secondly, being relevant is not necessarily the goal that Jesus has. And it shouldn't be the goal for a church neither. Being relevant is not necessarily the goal, it's just the byproduct of following Jesus correctly. If one is listening, if one is present, if one is demonstrably acting, then generally the product will be a sense of relevancy to the matters at hand in our world around us. So if we're, if we're doing these things, then uh, as a byproduct, as a consequence, we become relevant because we're doing our task, our job, to live it out in the world around us. As leaders, you want to be an amazing, relevant leader? You want to know what it takes? It takes being present in spaces. It takes listening in spaces. It takes the courage to act out in that space in such a way that it reconciles both those who need help and those who don't recognize they should be helping. Being relevant is not necessarily the goal. It's the byproduct. As God says to Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 7, I have heard the cries of my people. Moses was not trending when God called him. He had to leave his home because he messed up. He's not trying to hang out with anyone else. He's trying to keep a low-profile life. No one uh, back where he came from likes him, not the Egyptians nor his own people. He's not trending very well, nor, does he, nor is he very relevant. He has nothing to, to share with those people. He's out of place. He's been out of the context for a long time, but the whole thing was never about Moses. It was about God who heard the cries of his people. And so because God hears the cries, because God was present in their suffering, because God heard them, God then acts by putting Moses into a place of leadership. You may have no idea why really you're a leader in the spaces you were asked to lead in or work in the spaces that you work in, but God is present in those places. And as God listens and hears the needs of the world, God places you there that you might live out the calling of Jesus and that the world may become a better place because you are there.
If we want to be a good church and good leaders and good people, we should be present, we should listen, and then we should take demonstrable actions that affect the matters in our community. Last week, Jesus was relayed as a shepherd when he talked to his disciples in the book of John. Pastor Raywin did a phenomenal job at sharing with us what a shepherd was. In fact, she said, most of us have never even been around a sheep before. We've never had to lead sheep. It's not a part of our task in our lives today. But in that time and in that place, it was imperative for Jesus to relay this because the people knew what a shepherd was. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus approaches the disciples who were fishermen... Matthew lays out the landscape. There's, he's by the shore. There are boats. There's nets. There's a father who's teaching them how to fish. They're fishermen. They're preparing to go out. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you what? I will make you. Oh, you know the song. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus speaks to the matter at hand. But notice how he approaches Matthew in chapter 9. Jesus approaches Matthew. Neither does he say he's a shepherd, nor does he say he's going to make them fishermen. Both of those individuals would have paid a tax to Matthew. He doesn't relay Matthew's situation to Matthew in such a way because it wouldn't make sense to Matthew. He just calls Matthew forward from his place to follow him, and immediately Matthew follows. And when Matthew follows, the scene skips to the next scenario. They are in Matthew's home eating. Jesus was present in the community. Jesus was present and attentive to their needs. Matthew knew this. He was a tax collector. It was his business to know about people and what they were doing. And because Jesus was so valiantly present in the world, he was healing people. He just got done healing the paralytic let down. He was uh, healing some uh, demoniacs across the way. He was feeding people. He was doing all of this beautiful, hopeful stuff. And Matthew was a tax collector. He was taking money from people to make money. Something about that in Matthew's life just didn't fix, didn't connect. So when he saw Jesus so present in the world, Matthew says, I too want that. I too want to be a part of that. When we are present in our community among people, it transforms lives. Being present is a giving of oneself in our time. The day late, dear, great Dr. Fritz Guy stated this in, his, in this fashion as he writes about God's ultimacy and the Sabbath. When I give my time to something, a person, perhaps, and, or, or an endeavor, I am making an irrevocable investment. I am giving myself. Leaders, if you want to lead well, you are giving of yourself. And your time. Church, if you want to be an amazing church, if you want to do well as Jesus does, you will be giving of yourself and your time. You will show up and be present. Three days ago, it was a Wednesday, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The day was kind of warm. Sun was out. I had many of these student leaders show up at my house. We held a, uh, hosted them at our home to come eat, to come hang out, 
and uh, the staff brought the food, and we opened our doors, and they filled our little home. They filled the whole backyard. They, they, they came in like locusts, <laughs> eating everything in sight, <laughs> messing with things they shouldn't have messed with, sitting in places that no one sits. They just took up the backyard. Here's a couple photos of them. If you, if you let's see, this, they're just sitting around. This is a deck that we built, my brother built, and we didn't even know if it was going to stand the weight of the people. <laughs> like, my brother literally put the last screw in before everyone started walking in, and I was like, is it going to work? He's like, I don't know. If no one dies, cool. <laughs> if you work for the city, don't come to my backyard. There they were. They came. They filled the space. They swam in the pool. They, they just, they were in there. You see that person in the middle? That is D. Nancy Guerpo. She led the charge. I told her at the end, I said, I've been here a whole year, and now my home is finally blessed, Nancy, that you've jumped in my pool. Her and the guys and, 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 and Hennis, they jumped in, and they were, they were splashing all the water out, and all I could think was, how many gallons I have? It's going to cost a lot of money to fill that pool back up. Lord Jesus, help us. I've got to pick an extra tithe up this Sabbath. Mercy. <laughs> Why are they still here at my house? I don't know. And just as they came, a few hours later, they began to leave on their way out. And they would stop by and they'd say, Pastor, thank you. Thank you for opening your home to us. And I don't know if you know how much that means to me. Because when I was in college here, university here, it was homes like this that fed me. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of food and a lot of spaces, and yet people would invite us over, and we'd go every weekend or during the week. We'd stop into someone's house, and they would have food for us, and they would have space for us. And, and, and though it was amazing to see all these people over here, I was very nervous whether we were all going to fit. At the end of the day, I was so grateful that they did that because it allowed me the opportunity to be present for our university students. University students, thank you for letting me host you all. Thank you for coming to my house. You are always welcome at the timey abode. But there will be no food there. <laughs> Being present is imperative. If you want to be a relevant leader, if you want to be a relevant person in our, in our society, in our community, we must be present for each other. And as we are present with, for, with, for each other, we must, in that presence, Learn to listen, not just of our own opinions, but to listen to what is happening around us. The world is constantly in need of people who are willing to hear them out and come alongside them and care for them and love them and support them and be allies. But oftentimes as a church, we're so sure that we have the complete, full, and right answer that we're too busy trying to tell people things instead of listening as we should. Church, we must be a place, we must be a people who listens well. Pharisees began to talk and Jesus heard them saying. But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and sacrifice, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, 
but the sinners. Jesus was listening to his new friends. He was sitting there eating with these tax collectors and these sinners. They were growing together. They were laughing. There was a sense of hope around these people. And all of a sudden, as it always happens, when you're doing something good, there's going to be a hater somewhere in the group. You can't listen to the haters. Amen? Turn to someone. There's always a hater. Tell them there's always a hater. Careful, they might be the hater sitting next to you. <laughs> There's always somebody who's going to hate on the good work being done. So when that is a reality, we must recognize because that is so, we must discern who we listen to and who we do not listen to. Who are you attuned to hear so that you can be relevant in the world bringing goodness. And who should you just be aware of, period. Jesus here hears the people. He's sitting with them. He's listening to their stories. They're growing together. And he also hears the, the murmuring of these Pharisees. Man, why would Jesus do this? Jesus shouldn't be, shouldn't be. If he sits with them, somehow that means he's going to let, everyone's going to think that he agrees with them when he should agree with us. We're in the right. We're the, we're the religious center of the world. We, we should be the ones that Jesus wants to be with. Jesus' priority was those sitting, who he was sitting with and growing with him. Those who are marginalized and downtrodden. Jesus was listening to the hurt and the broken that were done so by society. Jesus was there for those. So he's listening to the ones who he needs to hear. And he's also listening for the ones who are doing the trouble. In our world around us, as we learn to do good... As we lean into the goodness of Jesus and follow the footsteps of Jesus, we must listen in for those who need us to do good. Focus on that. And once we have them in our target and in our sight, and we've heard the murmurings, we've heard the pain, we come alongside and we care for and love for and be there, be present. And then we'll hear people say things, oh, I don't know about that pastor, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And we can say, yes, praise the Lord. But I'm here because this is what I'm hearing. Jesus is listening and listening well. We must know which voices to listen to and which ones we just need to listen for. Two days ago, I went up to Victorville with a La Sierra Academy volleyball boys team, the Knights Volleyball, me and Matt McFarland, Mr. McFarland. We drove these vans up there. Um, and on that trip, actually, that even when I got back, I realized I never want to drive anywhere again with these guys. Because, because, let me tell you why, because the journey was so long. Um, the Cajon Pass is of, of Satan, and so you can't get back and forth very easily. We were up there, and we were playing the game, and our boys were up, and we had finished our first set. We're in the second set, and these boys are doing great, but the, but the home team started coming back, and, and they started pulling their game together. So I got a little anxious. You know, I wanted to put the, the bench in, but I couldn't because, you know, it was, it was starting to get real tight. The, the game started getting really tense. They, this, this other team started picking up, and there was this strong volley going back and forth, man, back and forth, blocks at the net, pickups, digs. They're, th they're, they're just spotting over there, and... And the, games, the, 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 the game here seemed to have come to an end. This last volley seemed to come to an end. When the ball went to the, the home team over there, and it looked like it was going to die. 
And so our team turns around and we kind of give each other fives. And I'm standing on the side and I see that the home team had dug the ball, amazingly got it back up, and was about to knock it over the net. And so I said, boys, boys, check it out. And they turn around and they see it. And then the guy knocks it. And I'm in, in an excitement, I meant to say, the ball is coming over. The ball is coming over. Instead, because I was so anxious, I yelled out, the ball is going out. The ball is going out. Our libero, who's the back row professional, runs to the line. He's right there. And the ball is it's not going out. He's fully in. But he hears my voice. The ball is going out. And his hands are quivering. And I'm saying in my head, don't say that. But it's too late. It came out. And so the boys are yelling, no, 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 pass the ball, pass the ball. So my libero, Vince, has to decide, does he listen to the strong yelling voice of his coach from the side, or does he trust the fellows around him who are present in this scenario? And in my head, I was praying, please listen to the boys. As I was like, it's going out, it's going out, it's not going out, stop saying that. And he's quivering, and I watch him, and I just cringe, I cringe, and I cringe. And he just, he listens to those who are present in the situation. He passes the ball, and we get to finish and kill on the other side. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? Yes. Now, we're not applauding people not listening to their coaches, but we are. That's fantastic. Vince had to make a split-second decision. He couldn't tell where the ball is. He's watching it in the air, and all of a sudden, he, he has to make a choice. Do I listen to the person who's furthest down the line, who may or may not see what's going on and has a judgment call, or do I listen to those who are present in this space and make a, a decision on that? He makes the good decision. You and I, when we're listening, firstly, we must be present. Secondly, we must discern who we listen to. Finally, the last of this, be present, listen, is to take action. Jesus takes action. Act in such a way that, the, that protects those who need to be protected while giving enough grace to those who need to be rescued from their own devices of sorrow. Jesus here in his actions does both. As he makes this decision to quote Hosea, he says, for I, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. He speaks to the Pharisees in such a convicted way from a place that they can relate to, from a place for them that is, that is truth and right. He comes from the Hebrew text. It's a prophet. They can't deny it. They can't debate it. They hear it, and they must obey it. And it's transformative for the Pharisees. Oftentimes, we don't think about the Pharisees in a transformational space. We think of them as the bad guys. We like to talk about uh, uh, the, the tax collectors and the sinners. But the Pharisees, we must recognize, also needs reconciliation. 
All parties need to be reconciled. And that's a hard work as leaders. You must find ways to protect those who need to be protected so they can be reconciled, as well as bring truth and rightness in a way that those who do not know the devices of their sorrows can also be reconciled. So the work here for Jesus is an action that puts his arms much greater than just the tax collectors and the sinners. It wraps its arms around the Pharisees as well because all need reconciliation. His actions protect those most vulnerable so that they may find this reconciliation while it also corrects through viable and respected voices that give an opportunity for those who are wrong a chance to be reconciled. That's a hard place to be, to give space for those who have done the wrong to be reconciled. That's a hard message for me to hear often. What effect will your actions have in reconciling as many as possible back together? We have too many heroes out there looking for a cause to lead, but not enough reconcilers looking for a cause to heal. Church, we must be in the business of healing. We must be in the business of reconciling, even as while we are being hurt along the way, even while we are offended at times. Even while things don't work out the way we want it to, reconciliation is a massive work of Jesus that Jesus calls all of us to. He calls your heart to be a heart that seeks to heal the places around us. Miroslav Volf writes, much more than just the absence of hostility sustained by the absence of contact, peace is communion between former enemies. Beyond offering forgiveness, Christ's compassion aims at restoring such communion. Jesus wants to restore communion between us. So we must find ways to stretch beyond our hurt, beyond our sorrow, beyond our anger, beyond our letdowns, and begin to create a place of harmony and healing. Pharisees need space for reconciliation. While we protect our tax collectors and those who are downtrodden in our world around us, we must also find viable ways to help reconcile those who we don't agree with. And in so doing, we are present, we are listening, and we are taking action into the world that God put us into. Today's my son's birthday. Yeah, he's nine. Um, <clears throat> so happy birthday, son, wherever you are. Love you, babe. This is a picture of my son. Look at old beefcake. <laughs> this is basically my son's personality as a, as, a, as a little one. He was very like, hmm, just the way it is. Hmm, just the way it is. And so my son could easily like wander off when he was young. This story is about how I lost my child. <laughs> <laughs> my son was about two at the time, maybe a little bit less. My wife and I have a system where um, I'll watch him and I'll hold him and I'll care for him and then we do a pass off. Um, especially in public places, we try to pass off and make sure the other person's very aware. 
um, so that the other person can take a release or relief and go. And, and, and that person who gets past two will take care of the child and make sure that we've got them all on lockdown. And this happened to be at the LA County Fair. Anyone ever been to the LA County Fair? Yes, you've eaten those uh, deep fried, double fried Oreo cookies? Yep, you're gonna die soon. We were in one of the um, fairplexes where they show off stuff, you know, like they've got like the broom that like also talks and like the, you know, all these cool little mechanical things that don't work when you take it home but look really cool there. And on this day, particular day, it was packed to the gills. I mean, people upon people. And my son and I had been walking around and we did the system of pass off. My, my wife was standing with her mom. I said, hey, here's Leo. I'm gonna go get some water, I'll be right back. And my wife said, okay, cool. Stops, so turns to her mom, and I, I, and, and I think I had released too soon. Because when she turned to her mom, I thought that was like the nonverbal signal of, don't worry, we got this. And so I released Leo, and I turned and I walked away to get some water. And when I came back, my wife was flustered. I said, what's wrong? She said, Leo's gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what that means, Leo's gone. Like, did, what did he do? Did he disappear? Did Jesus come get him and we didn't get to go? Well, what happened? She's like, he's gone. I, I, I don't know where he was. Between you passing him to me and me taking him, he just vanished. I said, you, you mean he's, he's, he's like gone? She's like, I can't find him. I can't, I can't, find, I can't find Leo. I had never felt in the pit of despair such a deep pain and sorrow. How could it be? How could it be? I, I, at this time, I no longer was worrying about the church. I was no longer worrying about the traffic. I was no longer worrying about uh, uh, what's happening in my greater world because my son was gone. Thousands of people moving through here like a heavy stream in and out. Where could he be? Could someone have swooped him up? Could he have wandered out somewhere? Could, could he be stolen? Will I ever see him again? This is my child. This is my... And so I lost my mind. I started running down each aisle. Leo, Leo, to no avail. I slow down back into the middle center where, where I last saw him. My family, we, we create random weird things. Every family has a weird thing. Don't judge mine. I have a whistle for my kids. That's my whistle. It, huh? it doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. I stopped in the middle of this heavy crowd with all the noise around me. And I whistled. And I listened for, for little big fat baby footsteps, which you can't hear in a crowded space. And so I begin to walk slower. I stop running, I walk slower because I realize my son isn't moving very fast and I walk slower through the space and I just, <whistles> tears flowing down my face. The realization that I may never see my child again. And all of a sudden, around one of the booths, this big fat baby comes out. And he's doing this. Because he's trying to call back to his dad. He listened. 
and knew that his dad was present. So he took the action of finding home again. Church, can we be so relevant that we would dare to be present in a world of people who want to come home back to Jesus? Will we give a call of love and goodness? Will we're present in the community and someone gets to say, hey, I recognize that. That is the sound of Jesus. May you and I always be a relevant space. Be well.